from the capital city of Charleston, West Virginia, this is Inside West Virginia Politics with Mark Curtis. Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Welcome back. They advocate and support for West Virginia seniors. I'm joined now by AARP State President Jane Marks. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, I'm sure, to work with and for West Virginia's seniors. Um, tell me about this legislative session and, and where you think some of the high points were moving forward for our seniors. Sure. Well, the first thing I have to do is give a shout out to our volunteers mm -hmm. because it's those volunteers that, that we call our secret sauce. You know, everything we do at AARP West Virginia involves a team, and so does our work at the legislature. We are not just a few people. We're not just from Charleston. We have volunteers from all over the state, all legislative districts that are on it in their red. Um, and you know, the past two years, we unfortunately haven't been able to be there, be there in person sure. as we wanted to protect them and their health and safety was our number one priority. But these folks are loyal. They were on Zoom calls every morning with us, developing our strategy and getting our orders for the day. They watched sessions and committee meetings, wrote letters, made phone calls. We had Zoom meetings with legislative leaders. So it's a process. Come, it's a process, and it is totally a team, and we love our team. So sure. I have to give a shout out. Well, and you talk about your red. You are very well coordinated with the glasses, too. I love it. Let's talk about the hits. What do you think that you guys achieve? What's going to make seniors' lives better, in your opinion, moving forward at past this post-legislative session? Sure. Well, one of the things that folks don't often pay attention to in detail is the budget. Mm -hmm. Just the budget, not a specific piece of legislation, but the budget. And we're always very careful and eye that budget in great detail. And we were a bit concerned because one of the things we want to focus on is the critical supports that older West Virginia need. Older West Virginians yeah. need things like home and community-based services. Yes. And it appeared to us that there was about $750,000 missing in that budget. And we were thrilled that on Friday, before <laughs> the session ended, the governor put back in the $750,000 that went to home and community-based services. We know that keeping older individuals in their homes actually saves the state money. And of course, um, they funded uh, retirees' pensions and the teachers' uh, pension. Absolutely. So that was great. So let's talk about things when it comes to you know financial abuse and neglect. We hear about people staying in their homes, um, you know, but there are situations, unfortunately, where our most vulnerable are taken advantage of. What happened during the legislative session that's going to protect them on that level? We worked on what we call the auditor's bill, HB 4297, which allowed now the auditor's office and DHHR to share information. That makes it a lot easier to prosecute some of these cases. You know, again, as you said, these folks are often vulnerable, mm -hmm. and it's not always that far away scammer that is that is the problem. Right. Sometimes it's family members. Right and, in the own home. And people that they know. So this was a great piece of legislation. We've had great success cooperating with the auditor's office in the past. And again, this is not something that gets you know, big attention, but it's critically important for vulnerable older adults. It is, and it, it just hits right at home. Another thing that's hitting right at home on every level is inflation right now. Um, you know, seniors are on fixed incomes and dealing, I mean, gas prices are extraordinary at this moment. So when we talk about financial relief for retirees or things like prescription drugs and caps and, and things like that, you know, where are you concerned that seniors might not have the ability to, to
to breathe easy yeah. when it comes to their finances. We were disappointed in a couple of areas. First, there was a lot of talk this session about raises for state employees, and certainly we don't have a problem with that. We know they deserve it. But the folks that seem to be left behind this session were retirees. And incidentally, this was the year when the governor announced, you know, record-breaking revenue collections, and seniors or older adults have had a couple of years that have been pretty tough with, with COVID and then with inflation. And there were a couple of pieces of legislation, one that would have offered a one-time, one-time supplement of $1,500. The other would offer a $1,000 supplement uh, just this year to give them a break when we have these record-breaking revenue collections. And it didn't happen. How is, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, we were just very disappointed with that. How it's, is AARP helping seniors moving forward now outside of the legislative session when it comes to inflation? Um, these prices are extraordinary for people who are working right now, not just for retirees. So what can your organization do to help these folks moving Well, number forward? one, we're not giving up. There are sometimes ways to make things happen outside of the legislative session. And certainly we'll keep, be keeping our eyes on that. There are ways to do that. We're also going to continue our push for doing things that will lower the cost of prescription drugs. Mm -hmm. That was another bitter disappointment. This session was the insulin copay bill that would have capped the cost of insulin. West Virginia is, has the highest rate of diabetes in the nation. Insulin has increased by 64% in five years. Well, what's that about? And we have the chance to join 20 other states, be a part of a, a, a group of leaders, mm -hmm. and we could, have, we could have capped the cost of insulin at $35. And unfortunately, the actions of the Senate at the last minute prohibited that from happening. And again, we were disappointed, but we won't give up. Again, we're, we're a strong team and we continue working throughout the year in terms of making presentations, working with leadership throughout the year to, to you know, because there's always next year. Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Welcome back. We are focusing now on education, higher education specifically, and we are joined now by the higher education chancellor, Dr. Sarah Armstrong Tucker. Thank you so much for being with us, Chancellor. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Of course, you guys are very busy just on the day to day, but also with the legislative session wrapping up. Tell me what you believe are the wins for the West Virginia Higher Education Policy Commission. So I think our biggest win, and, and it's not just for the commission, it's for all of higher ed, is that we have a funding model. <laughs> this is something that we have been trying, uh, working on for years um, at this particular model for the last two years. Um, historically, there hasn't been any real predictability to how higher education is funded um, and why it's funded the way that it is. And so this um, funding model gives that predictability and accountability um, to the institutions and for the institutions for funding for higher education. So we're thrilled about it. Because when things started at the beginning of the session, um, it, it wasn't looking particularly promising from your all's perspective when it came to funding. Yes. Well, I mean, for the past several years, we've held um, pretty steady with funding, but there were obviously um, a number of years here, a few years ago, where higher ed received very significant cuts. Um, that hasn't happened in the past several years, which has been um, we've been very thankful for. But the the pandemic, just like it has with everything else, has sort of wreaked havoc on funding for higher education. As fewer students are going to college because of the pandemic, um, we're seeing you know less tuition and fee revenue coming in. 
which affects the college's abilities to stay open and function appropriately. So I want to touch on that, but for just quickly, there is a bill on the governor's desk um, as of the time we're recording this um, when it comes to higher education and funding. Can you tell everybody a little bit about, about what that is? Sure. So that bill would um, reward institutions based upon progression metrics for students. So if a student um, gets to 30 credit hours, to 60 credit hours, to 90 credit hours, um, the institutions get um, more money as, as students continue to progress. Um, there's a completion metric. So the more students that more students that institutions graduate, um, the more money that the institution will receive. Um, the funding formula prioritizes certain in-demand fields. So we thought that it was important. Um, that the model recognized that all degrees are important, but that there are some degrees that we really need here in the state of West Virginia, and higher ed wants to be responsive to that. So, for example, teachers and social workers are prioritized in the funding model um, to make sure that colleges are focusing on some of those in-demand areas. Okay. You know, one of the things that you did mention is that the number of students is down post-COVID. And some, you know, might say we're still living, we're still living in that world, more living with COVID at this point. Um, what are the conversations that you're having with students to try to encourage them to pursue higher education? So I think there was a lot of um, fear from sort of the traditional age students about going to college that they were going to get shut in their dorms, they were going to be quarantined or have to isolate, and that they wouldn't be able to have the college experience that they wanted to. Um, and that certainly affected the enrollment of the baccalaureate institutions. For the community college students, um, we're seeing a pretty significant decline, uh, not just in West Virginia, but across the nation in the number of adults who are going back to college. And that makes sense, right? I mean, if you think about a single mom who had you know, children that were being who were at home and who they were trying to educate at home during the pandemic. That mom may also have a job that she's working to support her family. The last thing she's going to do is then also enroll in higher education to make her life even more complicated. So we're see we saw enrollment declines um, in those cohorts of, of students pretty significantly. Um, but we're hopeful that now that we're learning to live with with the pandemic and learning to live with COVID, that those students will re-enroll. We have been talking, I've been talking a lot with students lately about what's important to them, why they would want to go to college, what's important to them about college. And it's been very interesting to hear almost to a person, um, students are talking specifically about the careers that college will afford them. And I think that that's a message um, that we as higher ed need to hear. Um, you know, our students aren't really talking about wanting to go to a frat house and party. They're talking about I want to get into this field because it will allow me to have a career that will sustain my family so I don't have to worry anymore. Sure. And with inflation, uh, you can only imagine how people are wanting to prepare for their futures right now. And it's all about striking that that balance, too, between, you know, just trying to keep up every day and and deciding how to pursue a higher education or post-secondary education in some way. Um, I hope you'll come back, uh, Dr. Sarah Armstrong-Tucker. Thank you so much for your time today. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Do the same. We'll be right back. Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. And we welcome you back to Inside West Virginia Politics. We're going to uh, kvetch with another reporter now on the end of the 2022 legislative session here in West Virginia. I want to introduce Stephen Allen Adams, who's uh, with the Ogden Newspaper Group. So you're in <laughs> newspapers in Wheeling and Parkersburg and all kinds of different corners of the all state. All right? across the northern part of the state. Yeah, it's um, well, we've had quite a session. Uh, it, it's over. 
What, what do you, would, would you characterize as the highlight or the big deal or the headline from the session? Oh boy, I mean, it, it was an election year, so we're talking about a session that I think in hindsight we can say yeah, it was kind of middle of the road, a little tepid, except for a few bills that obviously kind of took all the oxygen out of the room, got a lot of attention. But for the most part, I feel like it was a fairly calm session. You know, nothing too controversial beyond one or two items that really kind of got all the debate. Yeah, the thing that really stole the headlines is they had a special session for three days right before the actual session began. And that's when the new core announcement came out and the green power buses and uh, some huge economic development news for the state which people hoped was a precursor of, boy, we're going to have more economic development announcements in the session. We didn't really have that many. I mean, the site readiness bill got through and some other things. But uh, I guess from your vantage point, does it seem like we're going to about to turn a corner in the state because of economic development? Or was, is this a one-time deal? I think so. I mean, one of the bills that kind of went through that didn't get a lot of attention, it was a last-minute thing, but it basically involved a deal between all the major parties was a natural gas unionization force pooling bill. It had the support of royalty owners, the gas associations, uh, some of the landowners, Farm Bureau. Uh, they came to a deal on it, and that is really going to kind of open up some natural gas production in the northern part of the state, especially right now when you're dealing with the situation in Ukraine and Russia, and energy is needed. This will help produce more natural gas. We've touched on the economic stuff, maybe we'll circle back to it, but I, we gotta talk about the social issues because yeah. this, this was a year that was chock full of social issues. It was widely anticipated the abortion bill, which would prevent abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, would sail through the legislature and wind up in the U.S. Supreme Court, much like the Mississippi law. Didn't happen, would it passed in the House, but not in the Senate? That's right, uh, it didn't really get taken up in the Senate. There were some changes made to it at one point to try to create an effective date to push it far enough into the future to give the U.S. Supreme court time to come up with a decision in the Mississippi case. Ultimately, that bill didn't go anywhere. They chose to stick with a bill dealing with abortion in the instances of uh, disabilities of the fetus if those are detected. That bill did go through. In fact, it just got signed this week. Another big social issue that almost made it to the finish line. You know, it's funny this happened. The, the last day of session, my boss says to me, what happens if they're in the middle of a debate or they're actually in the middle of the vote and the clock strikes midnight? <laughs> and I said, it's over. I mean, there's, there's not, we can't add a seconds this way. It's over, it ends at midnight. And what happened? We had a bill, the Anti-Racism Act of 2022 in the Senate at, it passed at two seconds after midnight. That's so it doesn't right. count. That's right. I mean, some of the reporters, I think, and even I had written it up at first that it did pass, but you found out in the wee hours after that that it just didn't make it past that time frame. Uh, took up a lot of debate over the last really three days of the session, particularly in the House where you had like a two-hour debate. Uh, you had uh, Delegate Sean Hornbuckle holding up uh, signs showing instances of uh, racism and uh, really bad things in U.S. history to try to convince people to vote against the bill. Took up a lot of time, but at the end of the day, it just didn't make it. Well, and then you wound up having some Republican infighting. I know Senator Eric Tower, who chairs the, the Finance Committee, he was on uh, a radio show and basically blaming the House for dragging its feet and taking too much time on the budget debate on the final date. And they, you know, they didn't get the bill back to the Senate until late. And he, you know, he made the case, that, and, and then Speaker Hanshaw didn't take very kindly to those criticisms. You know, he basically said to me, we run the House, they run the Senate. We do not tell the other body how to operate their chamber. Sure, it seems like they had plenty of time, the Senate, that is, to take up that message 
on the Anti-Racism Act. They just simply didn't get to it till late. That might have been sort of a tactic, perhaps, to either try to get it through at the last minute, or maybe it was some hope that it would die in the last minute, but they could say that they tried to do it. Yeah. We don't know. One bill that got, kind of got torpedoed by the House that passed the Senate was the unemployment extension, and we're down to about 30 seconds. I opened up a can of worms here for 30 seconds, but they were trying to reduce unemployment benefits from 26 weeks to either 12 or 14 weeks, passed the Senate easy, and it just died somewhere on the vine in the House. Yeah, didn't get out of the House. Organized labor did some things behind the scenes, didn't and get, the Democrats. Didn't get out of the House. They tried to amend it into another bill on the final day to try to get the House to take it up again. They, it just didn't happen, and there's just no real agreement on it between both bodies. Yeah, interesting. All right, we got plenty more to talk about. This is a long 60-day section. Seems like 600 days sometimes. Really? We'll be back with Steve and Alan Adams after this break. Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. And welcome back to uh, Inside West Virginia Politics as we continue our dissection of the statesman back to the frogs in high school. <laughs> We're dissecting the 2022 <laughs> legislative session. Stephen Allen Adams of Ogden Newspapers is here. Let's talk about some more of the things that did or didn't get done. Uh, income tax reduction. The House proposed cutting the state income tax by 10% passed by a wide margin. I mean, Republicans have a super majority. Went nowhere in the Senate. Yeah, it was kind of almost uh, part two of the war that happened last year right. between the House, the Senate, and the governor's office on differing ideas for phasing out the personal income tax. Now, this year's bill is not a phase out. It was just simply a cut. Uh, Law support in the House. Uh, there was some concern on the Senate side, and particularly in the governor's office, about whether uh, it would run up against the uh, American Rescue Act and U.S. Treasury guidelines in regards to not cutting certain taxes uh, after receiving those funds. So there was a lot of pressure to not do anything on it. Didn't make it out, though they did include the money part, uh, the SAFER fund, I believe is what it's called, uh, in the budget. But the governor did a line item veto to take that 200 some million dollars out of that and put it back into the general revenue budget. Yeah, it was 255, 265 million, because there was a, definitely there's a concern here because of the American Rescue Plan and the CARES Act. Do you have to wind up giving that 265 million back to the federal government? So, you know, you're basically near zero net sum gain. So I, I think that was the reason for that. Foster care was another thing. They had a big foster care bill. Huge loss. And it didn't, it didn't pass. And of course, there was those 15% pay raises for the CPS workers, which there's a promise to give it to them administratively, but no legislative guarantee. That's correct. Uh, the foster care bill, how like it passed the House by just wide margin. Only one person voted 99 against to it. 1, I believe it was. Yeah, exactly. So it had a lot of support, had uh, all sorts of uh, mechanisms to keep track of data in regards to foster children, and it had those pay raises. But when it got over to the Senate, the Senate gutted the thing. And what they did is they did that little promissory thing to try to increase those raises down the road uh, through DHHR itself. We'll see if that happens. We're just going to have to keep an eye to see if the governor's office keeps that promise. You know, that was one of the big headlines this year, session or not, was that DHHR has 1,400 openings. And a lot of those are, are CPS caseworkers that quit because of burnout and overload and low pay. And so what they're trying to do is take the money from those funded positions instead of hiring new people, just spreading out some of that money to give people a 15% pay raise. It's something uh, all of us in the media are going to keep an eye on. Let's look forward a little bit because there is a lot of discussion now about whether there should be a special session, especially to uh, eliminate the state's gasoline tax, 37.5 cents. 
temporarily, at least for 30 days, maybe longer. Well, there's definitely going to be a special session at some point because I know we're going to get the other half of our uh, American Rescue Act funds. That's total $1.35 billion, so we'll get the remaining half of that and now have to be appropriated. So we're going to see a special session, but will we see a gas tax freeze for 30 days? I don't know. I think the governor does have the ability to do it within the state of emergency powers he has now, taking some money out of his contingency fund and uh, to cover the loss of that money and do that for 30 days. I, it sounds like uh, Minority Leader Baldwin in the Senate uh, believes probably the better way to go ahead and go about it is that special session and let the legislature make that decision. Yeah, because we've already seen one neighboring state, Maryland, has cut its, its uh, bought the same as ours, 36 cents a gallon. So, you know, if you drive from Kaiser across the state line into Maryland, your gas is 30s. And then, of course, people shop for other things. Well, we have 29 border counties. Mm -hmm. That's more than half the counties in the state border another state. Virginia is on the verge of doing it. They're promising to do it for 90 days but they're bogged down in their legislature. So I think there's going to be some external pressure from, uh, from outside the state. Uh, obviously, we have a primary coming up in May. The big headline primary race is David McKinley versus Alex Mooney in that combined congressional district. What are you hearing? Uh, I mean, right now, polling that's come out uh, this week shows that to be a pretty close race between David McKinley and Alex Mooney. I think what you're going to see is not enough voters are interested in the race at this moment when we get closer to mid-April and closer to early voting and the primary date itself on May 10th. I think you're going to see more voters get off, the, uh, off their couches and pay attention to the race, and you're going to see that race either tighten up or grow one way or the other. You know, it's not just that race that's really a headline grabber, but up in District 1 State Senate, we got the incumbent Owens Brown, a Democrat, being challenged by former delegate Randy Schwartzmiller, Democrat. Uh, closer to here at Parkersburg, you've got the sitting senator, Republican Mike Azinger, being challenged by longtime House of Delegates member John Kelly. So we're going to have some pretty contested primaries here. It's not just the congressional race. There are others we can't get to because we're down to a minute. Well, especially with the 100-member, single-member House districts, I mean, it remains to be seen how that's going to work out, whether you'll see more incumbents or new members come out of that, but a lot of competitive races. Yeah. As they say, you need a scorecard to keep track of all of this stuff. We'll be watching it for you. I want to thank Stephen Allen Adams, Ogden Newspapers, a neighbor of mine here in Charleston, and also a, a seatmate down at the Capitol in the press corps. Thanks for being here. Always an interesting discussion. Thanks, Mark. We'll uh, see you next week here on Inside West Virginia Politics. Don't forget we are a podcast, so download us from your favorite podcast vendor. See you back here next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Inside West Virginia Politics. You can hear more from state, local, and federal lawmakers each and every Sunday morning on WOWK-TV in Charleston, WBOY-TV in Clarksburg, WDVM in the Eastern Panhandle, WTRF in Wheeling, and WVNS in Beckley. You can also find a new episode of the Inside West Virginia Politics podcast right here on this feed every Monday morning. If you like the show, make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Inside West Virginia Politics is a Nexstar Media Group production hosted and managed by Mark Curtis. Inside West Virginia Politics is recorded and edited inside the studios of WOWK-TV in Charleston, West Virginia. All rights reserved.